Hello and welcome to In Conversation with, a podcast by the Lancet Child and Adolescent Health. It's April 2022. My name is Esther Lau and I'm the deputy editor of the journal. We are currently doing a series of three episodes with our youth advisory panel, which we launched in August 2021. This panel comprises of eight young people from around the world, and you can find out more about them in our September 2021 issue. Last month, my colleague Sophia Davis spoke to two of our youth advisory panel members, Hamaya Sana from Pakistan and Agle Yanushinite from Lithuania, about gender equity. It is an interesting and insightful discussion on sexual and reproductive health and rights. So please do check it out if you haven't listened to it already. Today, I'll be speaking to three other members of our youth advisory panel: Chiamaka Wachuku from Nigeria, Bridget Bolt from the UK. And Teriro Kambu from Zimbabwe. We will talk about nutrition, which is an incredibly broad topic, and so we decided to focus on three areas. Firstly, the problem of malnutrition in children and young people. Secondly, the importance of nutrition education, and finally, what are some strategies and interventions that can improve nutrition in children and young people. I'm excited to hear the perspectives, but before we jump into the discussion, let's start with a round of introductions. Chiamaka, do you want to go first? Hello, everyone.、Um, hi, Essa. Thank you for bringing me on this. Hi, everyone. Again, my name is Chiamaka Wachuku. I am Nigerian and I am a doctor. I am passionate about child and youth well-being and development through research and advocacy, and I am a member of the Lancet Youth Advisory Panel to contribute to the work that is being done on child and adolescent health globally. Um, thank you, and I look forward to this discussion. Great, thank you, Jamaica. Let's go to Bridget next. Hi, I'm Bridget. I'm 17. And I'm from the UK. I have a chronic condition called mixed connective tissue disease, and because of this, I'm passionate about implementing youth voice into the healthcare systems. And I believe that it's vital when trying to improve services for children and young people. I've always been interested in nutrition, and particularly nutrition and education. Thank you, Bridget.、Um, and last but not least,、uh, Teriro. Let's can you introduce yourself, please? Thank you, Esther.、Um, hi, everyone. I am Teriro Kambeu. I'm from Zimbabwe. I'm currently studying my undergraduate degree in Malaysia, majoring in computer science. I'm incredibly passionate about advocating for youth involvement and participation in the deliberation of issues that affect their well-being, especially within the health sector. Being a chronic illness patient myself, and just a small fun fact about me: I actually have a twin sister. So it's an absolute pleasure to be here and have this much-needed conversation about various factors surrounding children's nutrition, together with Bridget and Chia Maka. So just allow me to kick us off with malnutrition, because I think we can all. Agree that it is a major cause of concern. So, for example, Zimbabwe, where I come from, just to give some context, a huge percentage of the population is living hand to mouth with no stable source of income. So, imagine in an economic climate like that. How will caregivers and guardians provide for their children's dietary needs, especially at the critical ages of their development? It can be very difficult. In addition to poverty, a significant number of mothers are very, very young, with the widespread practice of child marriage predominantly in the rural areas. So these young mothers are mostly unknowledgeable in childcare due to immaturity and sometimes just a general lack of education. So they are very ill-equipped in adequately catering to their children's nourishment. That being said. 
Chiamaka, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this issue, given that you're in the medical sector. What can you say about this very important topic? Thank you, Tyro. Um, you've made pretty important points, especially with regards to um, the intersection between socioeconomic circumstances of the family and the community, as well as nutrition status in children. And this is very important because malnutrition is a broad discussion and a very timely one. Almost half of all under five deaths globally are related to malnutrition in one way or the other. And for the children who even survive, poor nutrition has a tremendous impact on their growth, development, and quality of life. There are various forms of malnutrition, including stunting, which is having children who are shorter than expected for age, wasting, which is having children that are um, less than the weight expected for age, and obesity or overweight, having children that are more than the expected weight for age. And many times in talking about malnutrition, there seems to be a lot of focus placed on undernutrition, starvation, and nutrient deficiency. However, obesity and overweight states also fall under the definition of malnutrition, and in more recent times have become even more relevant to discuss. According to the WHO stats, um, worldwide obesity has actually tripled since 1975, and as of 2020, about 39 million children under the age of five years old are overweight. So it has become more and more an important issue, almost as much as undernutrition, as it has also been demonstrated to have many negative effects on the health and well-being of children and adolescents. I think Bridget will be able to shed some more light um, and insight on this. Bridget, would you like to speak a little bit more on this? Yeah, so in the UK, malnutrition is still a problem, but it's, it's less of a problem over here. The bigger issue is obesity. As of 2019, around 64% of adults in England were overweight and 26% were obese. And these numbers don't seem to be declining, they seem to have increased. Childhood obesity is also a problem over here, but the government and the NHS are trying to tackle this at the moment. Um, we can see this because they recently launched the Childhood Obesity Plan of Action. However, it's not enough to solve the problem and it's only just getting started. I believe that many nutrition problems come from a lack of education. And if young people were educated properly about nutrition and food, then we would see less illness related to poor diet. Thank you all for sharing. I think we can all agree that knowledge about nutrition is incredibly important in empowering people to make dietary choices. So let's talk a bit more about education. Teriro, earlier you mentioned the dietary needs of very young children. So how do you think that caregivers can be better supported in improving their children's nutrition? Yes, Esther. Uh, so just to echo you there, a huge majority of mothers in Zimbabwe are very, very young. So it would actually be very beneficial if these young mothers received more guidance, especially scientific-based guidance. You'll find that the guidance and the knowledge that they get in most cases is usually passed down from seasoned mothers who share based on the experience that they've had raising their children. And whilst I don't dispute how valuable their guidance is, which is greatly appreciated too, I think it's very important to balance that with professional insight because each child is different and what they require at different stages of their development differs too. Chiamaka, how do you think we can approach this issue? 
Thank you, Tariro. And you make an important point there about providing nutrition education to the caregivers and primary guardians of the children. Another strategy which I would like to talk about, while there are many strategies to address malnutrition, one that I think is very important and has become more important in recent times is school feeding programs. So about 10 to 20% of a child's awake hours are spent in school. And while this like might seem like a small percentage, it has been shown that the lasting effects of time spent in school are far-reaching and an excellent way to incorporate certain positive habits and strategies for lifelong development of the child. Now, school feeding programs provide an ideal avenue to give children and adolescents access to healthy, balanced meal, as well as tie this into their education and leverage on peer influence to really drive home the point of healthy eating habits. In addition, in places where there are socioeconomic challenges or poor caregiver supervision for various reasons, schools might actually be the child's only chance to access healthy meals. And this is an opportunity that I think must be fully explored. School feeding programs have been um, used in various countries across the world. And the ones that I'm most familiar with are those in Nigeria, Kenya, Rwanda, Ghana, and many more. And they have recorded significant success in improving both academic performance, general well-being, and nutrition status of the children. And many of these school feeding programs, interestingly, also have been a way to tie into employment for that community because they employ young members of the community to be a part of providing the meals for these children. So this is a great way a collaborative approach has been employed to make sure that um, the malnutrition in children in those communities is being addressed. So Bridget, I'd like to know, can you share a little bit more on how children and adolescents can also be empowered to improve their own nutrition habits? So while educating carers and parents is really important, as well as school feeding programmes, I think it's important that children and young people learn to manage their own diets themselves. In the UK, since 2014, children aged 5 to 14 have been required to learn about food origins, preparation, cooking, healthy eating and nutrition. Now, this is really good and it's really good that it's been added into schools, but there are a few problems with it. I feel like it's the wrong age group. While it's important that this age group is being taught, why does it stop at 14? I think it's incredibly important that, you know, children aged 14 to 18 and maybe older are educated because things like university, they need to know how to cook for themselves. And I understand that with GCSEs and A-levels, they obviously take over when, you know, from after you're 14. And so... You need to focus on those. But just as, you know, there's time made for PE lessons um, and physical education, that kind of thing, I think time should be made for nutrition education. I think it's important that children are able and young people are able to apply what they learn in these, these lessons to their everyday lives. And you tend not to be doing too much cooking when you're, when you're in the age group from 5 to 14. I also think that while it's great in theory, there are a lot of practical problems with it. So lack of time, money and resources, which makes it harder for teachers to to teach nutrition education. And so I think it needs to be made more of a priority. 
by schools, I think that both the Department for Education and the NHS should take responsibility for this and um, help schools implement nutrition education better. Chimaka, who do you think should be responsible for implementing the strategies that you mentioned regarding nutrition in children and young people? You make an important point, and thank you, Bridget, for that question. And I'm just going to, you know, build on what you have said. You you described the strategy, and you described how both the Department of Education and NHS are responsible for this. So I'm going to build on that and say that I think that strategies to address malnutrition should be a collaborative effort. For example, malnutrition is not a new topic and there has been a lot of work and research and interventions geared towards addressing this. However, sometimes there has been, there have been challenges with adapting all of this information and research into practicable, workable, long-lasting strategies with locally available resources, especially in some low-to-middle-income countries. And sometimes it seems as if these programs are sort of divested from other components of the lives of the population, making implementation difficult. For example, there is a lot of advice in the medical community about how breastfeeding, especially for the first six months of a child's life, is important to their growth, well-being, and nutrition status. However, where I come from, Nigeria, maternity leaves are pretty short. The the longest that many um, organizations give is about three months, and that is not enough time. And some organizations give considerably less, and that is not enough time for the parents and guardians of these children to give them the type of adequate nutrition they desire. And then their workplaces are not suited to allowing parents care for their children. So when you have interventions that are not very well collaborated with other aspects of the people's lives, it becomes a little more difficult to implement. So I think that a lasting solution to malnutrition as a global problem would be to have more integration between sectors. So more integration between the healthcare sector, agricultural sector, education sector. To give an example, an agricultural intervention could target growing, say, organic vegetables, poultry or livestock in modern farms in urban areas and this could tie into education on agricultural methods for children in that locality and this um, facility could also be the source of healthy meals for same children and then employ you know young people in that community to contribute to the workforce so at the end of the day you have some sort of collaborative integrated effort that benefits everyone and that way I, I believe that the interventions that are being implemented are going to be more long-lasting and produce more efficient results. Um, now, to Tariro, you mentioned earlier the challenges young mothers face with providing adequate nutrition for their children. Um, are there any specific interventions or programs you think would be useful in supporting such mothers? Yes, Shiamaka. Um, so I think that we could offer financial support or food aid, especially in remote areas, because there's a huge need for that. In those areas, they are highly dependent on their crop farming for food. And with climate change, their harvest has been severely affected in most cases. So financial 
and or food aid would be very helpful. And I like that you mentioned that we should be practical and we should implement collaborative strategies. So there's not only the issue of financial support and food aid, there's also the social aspect that we often overlook. So where I come from in the rural areas, there's a very rigid traditional setup and it can be very difficult for us to directly penetrate those areas because these young mothers already have people that they deeply trust. So we could identify resource persons within the area that we can train and educate about malnutrition, how to address it and the specific ways they can deal with it. Because I think it would be very, it would be much more easier to receive advice and guidance from people that they trust. So we could train them and educate them within their capacity, factoring in their financial situation and accessibility to resources as well. I think this this strategy would go a long way in offering support because it also encompasses the social aspect. Thank you all for your insights. Um, we have touched on a wide range of topics within nutrition, you know, ranging from providing adequate nutrition for young children to school feeding programs to empowering children and young people um, to make good nutritional choices. And I loved hearing about your thoughts on what we can do. So I'll ask one final question before we close the discussion. What would be the number one thing on your wish list? Um, let's start with you, Chiamaka. Okay, for me, the number one thing on my wish list would be to integrate nutrition campaigns and strategies with other sectors to ensure better and more effective delivery. Great, thank you. And let's move on to you, Bridget. For nutrition education to be regarded by all schools across the country, as well as the government, as an important and key part of children and young people's education. Perfect. And Tariro? Um, I think that we should step up efforts to provide support for caregivers. It could be food aid, moral and emotional support, or even educational campaigns on child nutrition, especially in unentered and remote areas. Great. Thank you all so much again for sharing your thoughts. I hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion and please do share your thoughts and feedback with us on Twitter at Lancet Child Adult. Thank you and goodbye for now.